I'd done nothing. I let him down. Upset with myself, I strode quickly to a phone, dialed his number. It rang four times. The recording kicked in. You've reached Joe and Janet, a female voice said. We're out having fun. Leave a message. I slammed the receiver down in frustration, went to my office, grabbed the car keys off my desk, returned to the reception area. I'm going over to Joe's. I told Rosemary Shears, my receptionist and assistant, if he calls or shows up, get me on the cell. I opened the front door and held it for Eddie, my Springer Spaniel and constant companion. He scooted through and raced to the car. Rosemary stood at the door. Call no matter what. I will, I yelled over my shoulder as I ran down the walk. I wouldn't have chased off like this for just anybody. I thought of Joe Moore as a favorite uncle than a client. Eighteen months ago, not long after I opened, Joe had walked into my Sarasota brokerage and asked my advice on what to do with a little money. He must have liked what he heard because he kept coming back giving me more money to invest. Somewhere along the way, we'd settled into a routine of spending Wednesday mornings talking about his passion. Stocks. Nothing. Not faulty alarm clocks, car trouble, illness, even the threat of hurricanes kept him from arriving promptly at 8 a.m. Twenty minutes had passed since 8. My mind kept coming back to the only reason why Joe would be that late. He was dead. I opened the sob's door. Eddie bounded up and over the driver's seat, landed in the passenger seat in one jump. I slid in, shut the door, turned the key, and pulled out of our parking garden into the traffic on Palm Street. My thoughts were memories. I pictured Joe carrying a mug of coffee over to his spot on the leather sofa opposite my desk, settling in, talking in a soft voice about price-earning ratios, growth opportunities, potential splits. At 78, Joe's mind was razor-sharp. It was his face that had aged. It was thin and heavily lined, and his head was covered with more age spots than hair. Gold-rimmed aviator-style glasses almost hid kind brown eyes. The pencil-thin mustache didn't hide his usual smile. He wore Florida old man clothes, pale short-sleeved shirts with epaulets on the shoulders. Off-white shorts held up with a white belt. Dark socks pulled up high, tan, soft leather shoes. The ensemble varied a little each week. Three things, however, stayed the same. He always wore a white captain's hat with an insignia on the front, had a nail file sticking out of his front shirt pocket, and carried a beat-up old brown leather briefcase. One other thing never varied. Even though Joe came to talk stocks, he was always concerned about me. If I was having a tough time, he'd put his arm around my shoulder, talk to me the way my father used to do. All the Wednesdays, we'd laugh together and talk together ran through my mind as I drove to his condo, a 20 to 30 minute drive. A long time to dwell on a friend's death and the woman who'd killed him. Chapter 3 a week ago, as he was leaving, Joe had said casually, Matt, I've got some news I want to share with you. We've gotten married. I'd been stunned. 
He'd never mention a woman, much less that he was contemplating marriage. Rosemary, of course, had wanted all the details. Joe had been evasive. All Rosemary learned was the woman's first name, Janet. All I learned was that there had been no prenuptial agreement. I wanted to feel happy for him, but with Joe's stock portfolio worth over two million, I had a bad feeling about this marriage. I talked to Joe a couple of times on the phone following his announcement. He sounded happy as if married life agreed with him. I decided I'd panicked. I was being overly protective. As I drove to his condo, I replayed each of those conversations in my mind, searching for indications this was coming, adding the questions I now wished I'd asked. I should never have assumed he was okay. I should have made sure. I slammed my hand on the steering wheel. Why hadn't I? I flew by a wrinkled little man driving an ancient Buick, eased through a yellow light, and accelerated past a strip mall to the entrance of the community where Joe lived. Laurel Lake's condominiums was a single street curved around a small lake, the condos in twos, left and right units, sharing a common wall. Every unit, the same brown, the same two-car garage in front, garage door after garage door. I wasn't watching the garage doors, however. I was watching the identical mailboxes looking for one with the name Jesso at the top. I found it and pulled the sob into the driveway. Joe's was the unit on the left. I got out, walked to the front stoop, and rang the bell. Eddie added a rare bark as if to say, Hey, I'm here too. I waited, waited, didn't hear anything, rang the bell again, waited, 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 nothing. I turned and headed back to the car. As I passed the garage window, I noticed Joe's car inside. From behind me came the sound of a door opening. My spirit soared. He probably overslept. I turned, expecting Joe in his bathrobe. Instead, I saw a square-faced, dark-haired man wearing a white shirt, loose at the collar, suspenders holding up dark blue suit pants. He stood on the stoop, barefoot, holding the screen door open. Can I help you? He asked irritably. I'm a friend of Joe's. I was looking for him. He eyed me for a minute, finally said, I'm his brother-in-law. There was a pause, seemed like minutes, probably only seconds, before he said what I knew was coming. Joe died last night. I felt a knot tighten in my stomach. How'd it happen? He shrugged. Died in a sleep. Old age, I guess. I'm sorry. He was a good friend. Through the door, I caught a glimpse of a blonde woman. Didn't look like she had any clothes on. Yeah, good guy. The brother-in-law agreed flatly as he started to close the door. I stepped forward, offered my hand. I'm Matt Seattle. Awkwardly, he held out his hand. Greg Nellert. Now I knew who the enemy was. Give your sister my condolences. His eyes narrowed. Yeah, I will. I heard the screen door swing shut as I walked back to the car. I backed slowly out of the driveway, aware they were probably watching me. As soon as I left Laurel Lakes, I was on the car phone. My first call was to Rosemary. Settle on stocks. Rosemary's British accent was one of our trademarks. Rosemary, it's me. It's what we feared. Oh, dear. He died in his sleep last night. Did you talk to the doctor? 
No, his brother-in-law, fellow by the name of Greg Nevitt. Are you coming back to the office? I'm on my way now. Can you give me Julian's direct line? Julian Ackerman was my attorney. She read me the number. I hung up and juggled the phone and the steering wheel as I dialed. It rang twice before he picked it up. Julian, this is mad. I've got an emergency. How soon can we get together? I heard him flipping pages in his book. I've got a deposition at ten. Filing at noon. How about two? Does that work? I'll be there, thanks. Two o'clock found us sitting in Julian's office, high atop Sarasota's only true skyscraper, one Sarasota place. The office was impressive, an elaborate desk, expensive furniture and carpet, subdued lighting, fancy media wall. Normally I enjoyed the panoramic view of the bay, the keys, the gulf. That day I could have cared less. Julian slouched on the sofa opposite me, arm over the back, feet up on the coffee table between us. He was tall and lanky, with dark brown hair, slick back, deep-set eyes, a hooked beak of a nose, and strong-pointed chin, a face that could be intimidating. At that moment, however, it was inquisitive. "'Tell me about the emergency.' Eddie sat on the floor next to me, watching Julian. I leaned forward. One of my clients, a guy named Joe Gesso, died last night. I think he was murdered. Why? For his money. Joe married a week ago. Suddenly he's dead. That can't be a coincidence. Let's step through this, Julian said calmly. How old was this client? Almost 80. How old is the wife? I don't know. All he'd tell me about her was her name, Janet. What makes you think Janet was after his money? He was 80 years old. What else would she be after? He got up from the sofa, paced around the office. Eddie watched her.